Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest today is none other than Eva Noblezada, who is currently starring as Eurydice in Town on Broadway. She was shot out of a cannon at age 17 after being one of the finalists in the Jimmy Awards and then was flown across the ocean to star as the lead in the first ever revival of Miss Saigon. When she was 18, she was in a country where everything is legal at the age of 18 with a huge paycheck from being a lead on the West End in and thrust into the spotlight from and became an instant celebrity. And it was it just took a number on her. And now after some self-reflection, she has figured out who she wants to be, isn't afraid to accept who she is in the moment. And we just had a very real, authentic conversation. Eva, thank you so much for being truthful. And we cover a bunch of things, including uh, her own journey through therapy and eating disorders. So a little bit of a trigger warning. We do talk about bulimia as well. So be careful for that. Find me online, Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Share this podcast with a friend, you know, help it grow, help the word get out, help spread these amazing stories. Find me online at bpn.fm slash TTP. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Eva Noblezada. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Today's guest is a two-time Tony Award nominee, Grammy Award winner, What's On Stage Award winner, and Jimmy Award winner, and she's only 25. After winning the Jimmy Awards in 2013, she began her professional theatrical career first in London in Les Mis before starring as the friggin' lead at age 17, by the way, in the first ever revival of Miss Saigon. Among many notable performances, she's also starred in the film Yellow Rose and can now be seen way underground in Hadestown as Eurydice on Broadway. Eva Noblezato, welcome to the theater podcast. Thank you for having me, Theater Podcast and Adam. <laughs> well, I actually said you're 25 in your bi- in the intro there, but by the time this airs, you're going to be 26. So I'll be 26. Happy. And also, fun fact, I didn't actually win the Jimmy Awards. Well, you didn't? No, then Sarah Wick- Lynn Marion Wiki- won the Jimmy Awards. Then what's on? Then Wikipedia uh, just... Uh, okay, Jim- you can't trust Wikipedia. People okay. go on there and say stuff all the time. Did you see what they put for Julia Fox's Wikipedia page? No. They put that she is uh, what Josh Safdie's new for Uncut Gems. 
<laughs> have you seen have you seen that going around yeah people no. yeah wikipedia isn't always right but yeah all right all right well thank you thank you for the correction i i'll go back and update wikipedia here once it's all done, so. <laughs> that's great cool 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 so yeah um god you have done so much in in such a short amount of time and it kind of just shot you out of a cannon i think that's that's Probably, I mean, we'll get to all this stuff, but like, let's start back at the very beginning and, and tell me about like when you were growing up, were you always into performing? Were you into singing as a child? Yeah, I always tell, make the joke that I, I came out of my mom singing, um, which is really gross if you think about it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I always just had a desire to not, perf- I guess, perform, but just like, be in something uh maybe that's why I have such FOMO as an adult but I just like being a part of like grand stories or just like the vibe of like people coming over to our house for dinner or like you know as growing up Filipino Mexican like always there's people that a family coming over for dinner or friends coming over for dinner so that that vibe of like people and like wanting to like entertain and like storytelling and fun like I was like that was like crack for me as a child and so really honed my um addiction to like entertaining i guess well, but yeah i was yeah. always singing for sure so then uh i guess filipino mexican that was the heritage and you grew up in california did i yes that? born okay, and raised so can, in the 619 i can That's trust right. that fact okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> so then california and and then you came to what was it? Northwest School of the Arts in Charlotte. Yeah, North Carolina. Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte, North Carolina. I love Bojangles. I love yes. the mountains, and I love Northwest School of the Arts. That's what I'm talking so, about. I'm from uh, North Wilkesboro originally, which I don't know if you know that. Oh wow! Well, I know that. I I never went off that exit, but I know that's like on the way to Greensboro, right? Yeah, like if you're going north yeah. up up. Yeah. Uh, uh, I seventy seven. Yeah, yeah, I seventy seven. That's that's what it is. <laughs> yes. So yeah, um, you could either go, you could go west to Wilkesboro or east to Winston and Greensboro. So, oh my yeah. god, I see the freaking freeway sign in my head. I know exactly mm-hmm. where that is. So great. Yep. Bojangles, you are speaking to my soul right now, which, side note, I just read an article yesterday saying that oh, they're no. going to do this big expansion up here and they're going to have <gasps> locations in Jersey. Jersey. Oh, it's still too far away for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna come get you. We're gonna go because, like, every weekend I want this four piece. Oh, of cream dang dinner. it! Yeah, I'm. You know what I miss is the Bowberry biscuits. <sighs> I haven't had those in years. I used to get like two at a time, and just like, yeah, that was the best life. Mm-hmm. Sweet, <laughs> sure. sweetie. I in college, I went to NC State. In college, my roommates, my sweetmates, and I, we would go to Bojangles probably eight times a week to eat. Well, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Right? To survive, and it's and it makes you happy. So live your life. Oh God, speak it. It's fucking happy, dude. I that <laughs> place. I am. I am so obsessed with that place, and we could spend the next hour talking about talking just about boat jangles, Yeah, <laughs> but we won't. Um, so then, going back to you, Miss Four Piece Supreme Dinner. So then, at what point did you realize that 
that you wanted to make performing a career. Because a lot of people, you know, like attention and they like to, to there's a validation in being on stage and, and telling stories or whatever the case is. But then at what point were you like, you know what, I'm going to audition for, for this school and go all the way across the country in high school, yeah. which by the way, seems kind of insane. Yeah, ridiculous. We moved when I was like eight or nine to Charlotte and we moved to Mooresville first. And I hadn't actually, I I wanted to be an opera singer first because it was the first sort of theater that involved singing that I was like introduced to. Um, It didn't even cross my mind to like have a career in just singing because I just loved entertaining and I loved, I I tried to build a freaking stage when I was like five years old in my papa's backyard, had like a hammer and nails and I was like in like, you know, very unsupervised as a kid, which kind of was awesome. But anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it wasn't until I met, I was reconnected with my auntie in that, who was actually uh, in Sesame Street. She was in, in one of the casts of Miss I Got on Broadway. Uh, she really was the first person truly introduced me musical theater. And then once that snowball started rolling down the hill, I realized my dad had a freaking bachelor's degree as a music teacher. He plays sa- saxophone. So he started wow. to like, even when we were in San Diego, he would like sit me by the piano and we would do our arpeggios and do um, like all of our warm ups and stuff. And so musical theater wasn't introduced to me until I was like 10. And then the Northwest School of the Arts is actually a middle school, high school, which is even better. Um, so mm-hmm. it's a way bigger group of, of, of ages. And so I auditioned and got in t- and I started going there when I was in sixth grade. The sixth, seventh, eighth grade years, I mean, being a teenager alone is bad enough, but then <laughs> <laughs> you throw in all of the the competitiveness and the uncertainty and anxiety around the performing mm. arts as well. So, my God, right? How <laughs> I I guess you're you're going to middle school and. Most people's normal does not involve the anxiety of where am I going to get my next job? Where am I going to get my next performing uh, I guess, yeah. ad- attribution from, right? So then all of a sudden you're thrust into this world. Like, was Did your normal shift at that point or did you know it was sort of out of the ordinary? I did only because my parents were so young. They really wanted me to go for a career that was like financially set. Like it's always a joke in the Filipino world, like, you have to become a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer or a real estate agent. You know, it's the joke because like that is a job that is known for getting you a very fixed and great income. Mm -hmm. But I just was really fucking bored. I was like, why the fuck would I want to be a doctor if I have no like desire to go to medical school? And I did think about these things at a young age because like people were always talking about it and like, what sucks about the education system is that it's so set for you uh, and it doesn't actually ask you questions of like, what would you like to do? What would you like to pursue? You can make money off that. And this is how you can do that. It's very much like you have to go to college, you have to do this, and then you get a job because you graduate college and you have a degree that gets you a job. And I started seeing it from early age. I was like, Oh, but it doesn't like you get a BFA in musical theater that doesn't actually prompt you you're not promised a job once you graduate college um even though you went through all those years of school so i don't know i just uh i always knew that i was going to do it so i guess i was extremely naive but also really passionate and i'm a really hard fucking worker so that kind of uh crazy concoction just gave me a lot of confidence going in 
to be like, if, if I get rejection, that's fine. It doesn't take away from my talent. I just keep working and keep trying to get to where I want to be. Really? At that young age, like you still had the yeah. wherewithal to be oh like, rejection God. is cool? If you had met my dad, if you met my dad, you'd be like, oh yeah, no wonder. Because I did a lot of sports actually before I, I got onto musical theater. It took years to truly convince my parents, like, let me fully do theater. Let me fully sing. Because I did basketball. I did paintball. I did BMX. I did volleyball. <laughs> I did all the sports you can imagine. My dad was like, we wanted a boy. We wanted an athlete. <laughs> Uh, and you came first, God damn it. But, uh, yeah, I did all the sports and in those sports too, I was like, I was a beast at those sports, even basketball, even though I'm like five foot, well, I'll lie. I'm five foot four. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, my dad always gave me the really just implanted that just disgustingly awesome work ethic. Like my brain was constantly like a Nike ad campaign. (laughs) <laughs> Even in, and then I brought that I brought that mindset into musical theater at a young age, which I thought I think gave me a really good head start. Yeah, wow. I I feel like there's a lot of kids, uh, I'm calling kids, right, middle school and high school that just take everything so personally and, and gosh, not even kids, adults, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, like, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and and that's that's one of the things that um, I guess I've learned through almost 200 full episodes of this podcast now it's taken wow. me this long to realize it right that that you have to embrace what makes you different and rejection doesn't mean you weren't good enough you're like the job was never yours i think it yeah was, nothing's promised to you nothing it michael, the only, yeah it was like, michael yeah. yuri i think that said it to me it was like oh, why I do you feel bad him. about not getting the job the job was never yours i love michael yuri yeah yeah so but it's, it's, it's kind of stupid that i had such confidence then and now i'm just like <laughs> such a fucking crybaby now about everything uh yeah it's funny <laughs> well oh god we're gonna get to that um the, life is oh, mid-20s and broadway life to combined again another concoction that that is just gonna send people to therapy that's not a concoction but, that's a that's a full-on absinthe cocktail that's just like xo you're done <laughs> so, ruins you. <laughs> dude um while you've got your job, you're still looking for your next job and more work because you just never know the anxiety you around never this know, lifestyle. Especially after the pandemic. And what really pisses me off is when people are like, so what are you doing next? I'm like, motherfucker, what do you mean what I'm doing next? Like, I'm, I'm doing eight shows a week. Is that not enough for you? Like, that really makes me laugh. I, I, I spend too much time thinking about what other people think. And it makes sense because it's kind of a part of our industry. Like, this is one of the few businesses where you have to be discriminated against based on height, yeah. weight, gender, looks. Hair so color. dumb. It's so stupid. Yeah. And it, it's it's one of these things that uh, combine the physical appearance along with the the overwhelming draining aspect of eight shows a week. And I know you're uh, you're pretty vocal about the eight show schedule. I'm about, so vocal about the eight show yeah. schedule. You 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 put put a bottle of wine in any actor, and they'll tell you the exact same fucking thing that I've been saying. It's not. It's sustainable if you want to be tired all the time. It, like for, for me, I can't do any other projects that I want to because I'm very much all or nothing. I give my all to my job and there are other projects I want to do that I can't really half-ass them because I, I want to have my time to, and my whole body to just put myself for those projects. And mm-hmm. so you really have to, it's, I would say the hardest thing 
is to continue a sense of gratitude that I do have a job. Because once you get into the grind of eight shows, it starts to kind of erode uh, the fact that you do have a job and a fixed income. And it's incredible. Um, and I have to pinch myself and slap myself in the face and go, remember how lucky you are to have this job. Um, not to say that it's easy. It's extremely difficult. And I, my voice is always tired and my body's always tired. Still manage to go to work and slay, but I'm always tired and in a good slay- way. Yeah. I mean, it's it's emotionally exhausting when you are giving yourself... I mean, that's something I think that a lot of people don't realize when they're like, oh, yeah, uh, you just go and you do a show and then you go home and you're fine. But actually, a, a muggle friend of mine the other day went to see Hamilton. I love Hamilton. that. I, no one's ever said that before. I love that you just said that. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to borrow that from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A muggle, a muggle friend, non-musical theater person. Uh, uh, we were talking the other day and he was like, He's like, yeah, I went to go see um, Hamilton the other day for the second time. Really cool, awesome. I'm meaning to ask you. So, like, I went to see a matinee, but there's another show that, there's another cast that does the night show, right? Another cast, as if. Another cast is two shows a week. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no, dude, no. And that's not the only day they do two shows a day. So, you've got your Wednesday, usually your Wednesday two show day and your Saturday two show day. And then if you're a Disney show, sometimes you got a Friday two show day. You got a Friday two show day. So, and and this blew his mind because he was he was like, wait, that's like almost a three hour show. They just get done and turned around and do it again. I said, well, yeah, welcome literally. to Broadway. Literally, yeah. yeah, literally, that's what they're doing. And they have a thirty minute nap, and they're back at it. So, that seems like a really nice, nicely timed nap. No, sometimes it's like set the alarm for seven minutes. <laughs> that's your nap. Well, okay, so going back, God, I, I cannot wait to talk about this. Okay, so, but going back to uh, high school, 15, 16, 17. So 17 is Jimmy Awards, right? And so yes. then it was Cameron McIntosh that saw that performance? It was Tara Rubin who saw Tara Rubin, that's what it Tara was. Tara Rubin. Yes. I always say Tara for some reason. It's Tara Rubin um, who saw the performance. And she was in the audience and... It was, you know, the Jimmys chooses six finalists to sing their solo song they've been working on the whole week uh, during the National High School Music Theater Awards. And it just so happened that she was friends with my theater teacher from Northwest School of the Arts. And so after the performance, she came up to me and my theater teacher said, <clears throat> excuse me, do you have an agent? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. And so she goes, you have to audition for Miss Saigon. And I was like, great. Okay. <laughs> like okay and so we set up the auditions and i worked with my auntie who was one of the alternate kims and the broadway cast and then they called and said okay this is your time and my dad drove me up we had two auditions and then huh? i'm sitting here with my jaw dropped because Crazy. you're you're at a school for performing arts and you don't know what an agent is. i i didn't really know i thought i didn't know that it was like i could get one i thought but I didn't understand like what the process was of like getting a job. So we were right. really, we, we were taught like how to get a job and like, and I guess that was it and how to want a job. <laughs> we were taught like anything that's, else. That's something that I would have hoped would have been <laughs> fixed when I, I'm, I'm a few years older than you. And when I, I got a computer science degree and then was performing with that. Wow. So, so there you go. But, um, I had so many, kids that I was performing with when I was a kid, like fresh out of high school and college and whatnot. And 
I they didn't know how to print a headshot or how to market them. They they didn't realize yeah. that they were a product. They are their own product. Yeah. And they need to market themselves. It's so dangerous to not know to give your power away at such a young age. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is why I don't drink coffee, but you see I'm going for a second sip. Excuse me, mucus. But um it's 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 really dangerous. And I, I definitely think that it's I hope that theater education is is different. Um, because of social media, like all anyone gives a shit about is branding yourself. Um, and so I hope what they're focusing, focusing on now is substance uh, as a product. You want qual- a quality product, not someone who, you know, anyway. But yeah, we, I, I don't remember ever getting taught what the steps were. So thankfully, right. Tara was like, yeah, we'll get you. We'll just, I'll help you with this because she's a casting director, massive casting director. Um, I'm just glad that it all was aligned. and actually. This picture was taken the week of the Jimmy Awards. That's Aww. me. I don't even look like myself. It doesn't look like you at all. It doesn't look like me at all. I'm catfishing myself. <laughs> I, I, no, no one can see this picture except you, so I, that's why I wanted to share. We have a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, I love secrets. Secrets are fun. Uh, do you think that uh, just like you're not supposed to uh, get drafted until you're 18 or have a drink in the U.S. until you're 21, that you shouldn't be given the lead in a Broadway show at 17 or a West End show, um, sorry? Because oh my God. again, again, going to, you get, the, you get the lead, you go out to London, make your West End debut, which is also uh, only your second show. I think Cameron McIntosh, like to... To tell you, so you could learn what the terms were. Yeah, you put reading, me in Les Mis. Put you in Les Mis for a few months, right? Just so you yeah, which is awesome. Right. But you're 17, freshly 18, which is in Europe, you can do anything when you're 18. Awesome. So dangerous for me. Right. And awesome. First time out of the country, yep. out of the mm-hmm. country, away from your parents, uh, in a professional troupe of debaucherous individuals. And welcome to the beginning of a great book. (laughs) (laughs) It's also also the name of my band, Debaucherous Individuals. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also the name of my memoir, which is. Come on. Yeah. I I digress. So (laughs) you're out there and I I guess, did you have time at any point to stop and say, holy shit, what, where am I right now? The answer is no. You're shaking your head profusely. I'm prof- uh, if I could take my hat off and shake it with my hands, I would. Uh, no, I didn't. I think the only time that I was like, whoa, this is so cool, is when we opened in Miss Saigon. Um, and back to your original question, I don't recommend anyone being doing anything if they don't. How do I say this? I think it depends on the person. I did not know who I was, and I didn't care about taking care of myself. And if that's your mindset, good luck. Mm. I learned that the hard way. I, I only cared about my performance being absolutely perfect and looking the way that they expected me to look. And with all of that surface shit, I completely lost sight of who I was and what I actually, why I was actually doing this in the first place. And so at that age, when you're going through all of these changes and you have so much responsibility and you're creating a new life for yourself, um, that was like the last thing I needed to fall under my feet. Like it felt like the ground just like completely 
left and I was like falling for years. But but the only stability I had was the show. So that be- begun a really toxic relationship I had with doing the show and being perfect, whatever the fuck that word means. Well, what is it? What what did it mean to you then, and what does it mean to you now? What's the difference of performing? Of being perfect. I think being perfect is stupid. I think um, the only time I say perfect is when I make fun of people's accents. Perfect. Um, <laughs> it's the only time I say the word. Um, but yeah, I, I think back then, because I thought that that was a thing, I just I I had I lived in the world of a very dreamy, um, romantic view of a seven, 18 year old young woman living in the, her own world so like i and as a quintuple pisces i romanticize everything i'll be like oh my god this moment and in my head i'll be like so like i don't know i'm so stupid like that in the best way so when i have no boundaries or structure in my life i just like it went it was too much but yeah that was crazy and i i think back then the word perfect meant something and it was like a goal and now it's just like i know it's total bullshit and i it's I guess if you want to say that anything could be perfect in life it would be having knowing who you are and being able to hold yourself when you need to coming back to coming back to the basics coming back to back to the ground so that you can go and open your mind and expand your mind and expand who you are and let go of things I just didn't understand that relationship you could have with self and how essential it was um at a young age because i was so um needed in so many ways by people who really didn't give a shit about my my well-being um Mm -hmm. i thought oh that's great they i'm needed i'm validated but actually i realized like oh it's just it's just if that's not exactly what it, it turns out to be well, there's therapy that has gotten at my age now has gotten me to to see that same or mm. I guess understand that same sort of mindset. But like when I was when I was 17, 18, I I was nowhere near any of that. And I and I think too that yeah, I would have probably imploded and self-destructed because you think you're invincible. You really oh my do. god, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and so at what point then did it did it start to go? sort of internal with for you because you know I was reading that you've been vocal about um used to have panic attacks on stage and battled with bulimia for a while. Yeah. Do you really you still have panic attacks? Still have panic attacks on stage. Not it's not constant, but you know, mind mine vary. My anxiety varies sometimes. Sometimes I feel like it's in control and sometimes I'll be like, I can't breathe. Oh, okay. Don't worry about it. I'm just having it's fine. I'm having panic attacks. Um but I've I've learned how to hold them in and I've learned how to be with my come back to myself and go ask the important questions. Are we in danger? We're okay. You know, it's, it's experience. It's just knowing yourself and knowing what works best for you. But, um, yeah, I've all, I'm always internal. I've always been internal my whole life. I feel very deeply. And sometimes it's hard for me to get out of that preface, you know? Um, but I think that I, I, I've learned how to use that to my advantage, which means I don't have to look at that heavy feelingness as a downside or a negative thing. Um, but I, I, I've always been extremely vocal about the things that have not worked out for me and that have been against me in this industry because it's important for people to one, not feel alone and to, to remember that it's still a job just because you love it so much. It doesn't mean it's not going to hurt you or that there are things in it mm-hmm. that can't hurt you um, because we're not mm-hmm. invincible we're extremely durable. 
I'm extremely durable, um, but I'm not invincible. And I think understanding that I can look at my weaknesses and I can look at my strengths and I could start to really build up who I am. And the more that I know who I am, the more confident I can be no matter what the circumstance is, even if it's really fucking shitty. Is, is it the, the panic attacks on stage? I, uh, I've heard this from a couple of people that I've talked to and like Desi Oakley's talked about it and Patty Murin's talked about it and multiple mm. people who, have, oh, who Patty, literally, yeah. I love, yeah, I love them both. And especially uh, I'm thinking about Patty's conversation specifically is uh, she was saying that literally a Disney queen living the dream on stage in front mm-hmm. of thousands of people. And all of a sudden she's just like, holy shit, they're all looking at me. And that just yep. all of a sudden starts to freeze up while like goes on autopilot and the show doesn't stop. But then inside the mind nope. and the brain is going a thousand miles a minute. Oh God. So, yeah. That's a, that's a perfect way of describing how it feels. So does that and that happens with you uh, on Hades Town still too? Absolutely, uh, my, my really people's panic people's panic and anxiety attacks are are rooted in different anxieties and triggers that are that have happened in the past, different traumas that have happened in the past. Mine specifically has to be with body dysmorphia and with bulimia, um, and related to being on stage. I was I was forced to lose weight uh, at a young age, and I was forced to look at myself in the mirror and, and really encouraged to say, you're ugly, you're, you need to lose weight and your skin's horrible, but we love your performance. Your performance is great. Everything else is bullshit. And (laughs) there were actions that were taken to change all of those things. So of course, still as a woman, women's bodies change all the time. There'll be times where I'm on stage and I'll go, Oh my God, I feel like my arms are like expanding. I feel like my stomach's real. And then I can't breathe. And then I have a panic attack because those traumas that are so synced for body and stage are so uh, vivid to me still sometimes. Absolutely. Happens all the time. Even in my, re- in my normal life, it happens all the time. Well, that's, that's, really, that's really an interesting dichotomy, I think, because or I guess where I'm going with this is through the pandemic, and we're going to get to the whole like performing pandemic stuff uh, probably, but um, I've been posting lots online about uh, pole dancing. Like it's mm-hmm. a side note, it's an amazing workout, right? Like yeah. full full body, very cardiovascular. It's just really, really hard. And uh, it's one of those things, uh, it's a profession where uh, in general, you, uh, I guess maybe not in general, maybe I'm stereotyping, but you do it like the pole dancing is so that men can sexualize you. And as someone who yeah. has body dysmorphia, right? Is there, like, is that in constant conflict? Like, there's the need, sort of, to be viewed? Because you don't have to record and post no. them either. The, and, but you're, but the you're inspiring... Need, no. The need is to not be viewed. And there is a huge stereotype with, and, and, and obviously, that's, that, was the, that was the first time we saw poles and strippers and sexual work and, and sex workers was so that they could be sexualized because it was a business. Um, I am not a sex worker. I completely support sex workers. Um, I completely support strippers and I am not a stripper. Uh, I pull solely because it's fit- fitness based for me and because mm-hmm. that kind of movement is freeing for me. Um, the lack of clothing is, is not to be sexualized. It's because we need their skin to grip the pole. <laughs> That's just right. very, pl- very plain and simple. Uh, <laughs> you go to any strip club and of course they're going to be wearing very little clad to nothing because that's their job is they, they want their the goal is to be sexualized 
but also uh, so they could stick to the pole <laughs> to do to dance and to do tricks. Um, there are different types of pole, but I think uh, it's just important for me to say that as a pole dancer, I completely support sex workers and strippers, um, and that I'm in I am yeah very in support of that. But no, I, I don't want to be viewed. The goal is to as a as a and as a man too. You also I'm sure have come across a lot of. Uh, you know, imagery in the media that puts pressure on you possibly to change your body and that this is the way that mm-hmm. a attractive man looks. And it's all bullshit. And it makes you feel all like the time. shit. All the time. All the time. It's it's and, and it's not just women. It's men as well. But but women, it's it's it sucks because anything we do is sexualized. Fucking breastfeeding is sexualized. It's disgust it's like that's the disgusting society we live in. So me posting a video of me uh with a sports bra on and little tiny shorts sure people can look at it and say oh she's sexualizing herself that's your point of view and it makes sense why that's your point of view because that's the society we live in it's hyper sexualized but that's not my intention for putting it up there do i enjoy doing the workout and do i like posting it to go like yes women can do this i didn't know how to pole dance until uh, about a year and a half ago and look at the fucking tricks that i'm doing it's ama- it's amazing what the mm-hmm. body can do absolutely it's hard do i also however uh use pole dancing to have a deeper relationship with my body so that I can value it more and find it more beautiful. Absolutely. Those things, oh, those are that. so, so many categories of enjoying your body and, uh, realizing how sexy you are. That doesn't have to be sexualized. It's just so easy to sexualize anything. I mean, I could, um, there's a freaking cactus magnet on my fridge. And if I wanted to sexualize that, I can like, it's just so dumb. Like, that's just like what our society is so stupid. Oh, I'm going to go out on a date with that cactus magnet sooner or later. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. I love how this all kind of plays back to Eurydice a little bit. And I feel like this sort of, this role is really perfect for you in, in that it's it's a strong feminine character that mm-hmm. uh, you're you're playing it and possibly and most likely, you know, with the, with the help in the direction of Rachel Chavkin and the rest of the creative team, mm-hmm. I mean, Aeneas, everybody. It's just amazing that Eurydice is, is not some damsel in distress, yet Eurydice loves love. So there's the there's the soft side, but there's the take no shit mm-hmm. side. And yeah. so how much how much of that is Eva, and how much of that is what you know the creative team you and the creative team put together for Eurydice? That's a great question. I um I feel like Eurydice's taught me so much that, and as somebody who loves the character so much, it's hard for me to not say, oh, we're just like we're just like each other, because then it takes away from an actor's ability to like. My goal is to go on stage and not you do not see any Eva. That's uh, that's besides the point. Um, I'm not on stage to be Eva playing Eurydice. I'm on stage and I'm Eurydice. Period. Mm-hmm. Like and and we're very very different beings. Um, but of course, like if you wanted me to go play freaking Mufasa, there are things that I can see myself <laughs> in that character too. You know what I'm saying? Like that's right. the beauty of of humanity. But um, yeah, I would say that. I love that she's not, she doesn't put on the damsel in distress. Um, it just, it, it, it really just has you look at it in a very real perspective. And actually, Reeves said this in an interview, and I thought that's, I always think about that now is that 
any audience member, no matter who they're essentially rooting for when they come into the theater, can really see themselves in every single character. Mm-hmm. It's there, and you know, maybe there's one that you like, kind of go feel most familiar with. But I see myself in all of the characters um, as Eva. Eurydice plays an integral part, though, to show you the, uh, I guess, how difficult it is to not be vulnerable. God, we're watching Bats right now, and if I if if I played a drinking game for every time someone says, "I'm really glad they're being vulnerable," I'd be drunk five minutes in, um, <laughs> for sure. It's so annoying, but um, it's not it's not it's not the beauty of her vulnerability. It's her it's her the beauty of. I want to say the authenticity. I was just going to say being authentic to herself because she, she makes a decision. She doesn't, is not forced to go down to hell. She, and that's why people like, Hey, he's a villain. He's not really, he gives her a choice Yeah, and she, she she makes a fucking choice. So, and the fact that, um, yeah. And I love that. She, I love that she does it because a lot of the roles that I played, my characters did not have a choice. Or like they didn't feel like they did, but Eurydice knows that she has a choice. There's, mm-hmm. there's a, there's an extra layer of um, consciousness that I love that Eurydice has, and in throughout throughout the whole show, like there are things that she does because she wants to or she can. Things that the way that she dresses, the what she says, how she fucks with Orpheus when they first meet, and there she's like, who, who are you? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna test you to see if you're really like the man you're saying you can be. Um, and it's not because she's being flirty or she's like this is the guy for me she's genuinely saying like okay what can you provide for me and i, yeah. I love that she has that, that sense of self i really do it's really special she's got a, she's got a wherewithal that I, I i don't know if if this was intentional or if this comes across because you are bringing a little bit of yourself into the character but but she's be wise beyond her years and she's got this intention and this need to like you said she prove you know orpheus prove to me what can you give me can you be the person mm. you're saying that that you can can you provide for me can you do this for yeah. me like i'm going to support you i'm going to choose but can you can i'm going to support you can you choose to support me and you're like you're actually having him you know, orpheus test a little bit and i feel yeah. like that that's very much um sort of it echoes in a way how you were sort of shoved into into center stage, right? At such a young For age. For sure. I mean, one of Hermes' lines is Eurydice um, was a young girl, but she saw how the world was. Yeah. And it, it's not that I put myself in Eurydice. It's just that a lot of people have those experiences where you probably know about certain parts of life that I don't. And I probably know about certain parts of life because I've experienced it and you haven't yet. Or you or you won't. You know, people are so different. And that's the be- I love that beauty. But um. I know what that's like because I started so young and Eurydice knows that's like, because she has had to live very uh, survivalist life for so from such a young age. And it's almost, it's not me putting myself into the character. It's like, Oh yeah, I do know what that's like. Awesome. Yeah. So cool. I do know what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, it comes across, it's, it's very much just, like there's a there's a worldly wise to Eurydice and an acceptance of like I'm making this choice and I'm okay with the outcome and mm-hmm. and I, yeah I feel like that's very much what I see from you and what I know from about you from a distance is, is I feel like that's sort of how you are as well you're just like well I'm gonna I'm gonna evaluate it I'm gonna get all my options I'm gonna make a choice and then I'm gonna stick with it and I, and actually you said this mm-hmm. in the beginning you're like you're all or nothing you can't do two things at once I am very all or nothing but um I appreciate that thank you so much for saying that um about the show but yeah i i will say though 
I have my brain in my way works so fast. I see all the options and I, I go based off what I know is right for me and what I feel is right for me. And I won't say 99% of the time is what I feel is right for me. Um, cause I don't know what's, what's going to happen in the future. I mean, I don't have, I, I wish I may no, maybe I don't wish I was like, that'd be actually really fucked up. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I go, I really go based off of feeling, um, a lot of the time. That's like kind of how I like maneuver my way through life. It's just based off feeling. Well, it's a good way to go. I, it's it's sort of uh, it's the energy you're following the the positive energy pulling you forward. Which uh, I have another podcast called Was It Chance, where we talk about people um, following um, that creative energy and manifesting their own opportunity. Yeah, so That's it's so great. It's, it's totally sort of the same thing. Um, but then also uh, going back to like sort of the the emotional um, uncertainty of that time. Um, coming out of Miss Saigon and before Hadestown and whatnot, like you got married and divorced at such a young age mm-hmm. as well. I and, did. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't really know what to, what to ask to start talking about that, but I want, I want to acknowledge. Oh, that it's, there, very, there was, it's a very simple explanation. I had a boyfriend. I was very young. He proposed. I got scared. I was 21 years old. And I said, yes, because that's a lot of pressure. And I didn't know what else to say. And it happened. And it, if I go back in time, I wish I could have said, you know that you can say no. Like, that's an option. You can say no. But it made sense why I said yes, because there was never a time in my life where I could say no to all the fucked up shit that people were making me do. Lose weight. We're going to send you free meals to your door. Go on a contraception. Okay, 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 okay. I always said yes, because I, I there was a level of performance that I, I yeah. thought I had to achieve off stage. So I, I completely understand why I said yes. Oh, you said and you were he, scared. What were you scared of? Well, it's a big decision. It's saying no to a, a person who you've been in a relationship with, that's huge. I still didn't know who I was. And I, at the time, I mean, that wasn't a, it wasn't a toxic relationship, but it wasn't, it, it was comfortable. So of course, would I say no to being not comfortable and those were the the questions i was asking because i didn't know i didn't know the complexities of a relationship and how i brought myself into them and how i was changing i didn't realize that because i was in a i was in a routine i was in a groove Mm -hmm. i i like i said before i hadn't yet developed truly my sense of self and my ability to set boundaries and my ability to say no and not care about what disturbances that caused. That was a big thing. I could see the outcome. If I had said no, which I originally wanted, to, I did, essentially. Um, I thought, oh God, this would happen. These people would be upset. I would lose these friends. This person would not, like, I thought about all those things. Of course I did. Hmm. So I made the decision based off fear. Fear of causing a disruption and fear of not of, of taking up space in a way that really benefited me and just me. Cause I thought that was selfish. Big lesson, everyone. <laughs> Big <laughs> lesson. You got to put yourself first. Otherwise you're going to always just. Well, be- now I fucking know that, but you, you'd be 21 years old on a, on a beach in Tulum when you're paying for the whole vacation and someone proposes to you and you've never even talked about marriage before. And you're oh comfortable. You'd oh be like, uh, bleh, bleh. like that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. Wow. I, would, I, I don't say I, I have any regrets cause I wouldn't obviously be, who I am now, the lessons I've learned. But I will say that 
it happens. And it just so happens that you know about it because fucking press. Yeah. <laughs> social media. You wouldn't know it any, any other way. <laughs> press is social. Yeah, press is social media. Yeah. Like, God, they talk about everything. There's an obsession. I think there's an unhealthy obsession in this country with... Oh, uh, of course. It's unhealthy because, because people have... Our society doesn't uh, encourage people to know who the fuck they are. Because if they really cared about who they are and what's good for them, then they wouldn't give a shit with who's getting divorced and who's dating who now and relationship drama like they wouldn't they wouldn't care because it doesn't mean anything <laughs> i think it's like because half half the world is on pro, not half the world half the i guess biggest country i'll generalize our country half the country's on prozac probably more i don't know i don't actually know the statistics probably but, i don't even know what but, that is isn't that i don't even know what that is man prozac what antidepressant, antidepressant. Oh, okay, okay very very okay. generic antidepressant um it's been around for years uh and I, f- I feel like there is so much internalization. Like you said, what we were talking about a second ago is that you walk down the street and there's guys with 10-pack with abs and girls with perfect boobs and this yeah. thin body. And always we're trying to get sold something by by being told what who we are is not good enough. Yeah, because we live in a very dumbass capitalist system that tells everyone, a, a, a certain group of people, you're perfect, you're the elite. Everyone follow you. We get money, you get money. Everyone else, fucking losers. Fix yourselves. You can't get this. You can't have this opportunity because you're from here. It's so, the way that it's set up is actually, yeah, I, uh, yeah. I, I, we're not even going to get to that. We don't have the time. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, I, I wish I could talk to you forever. You're amazing. <laughs> uh, so, but I guess this is a good place to stop. Oh, actually, no, before we stop, I want to go full circle and take it back to your parents. Uh, mm. They originally wanted you, of course, to be the, the financially stable individual, but Sports. now. Yeah. <laughs> sports, be a sports star. Which I don't understand because there would still be such a small percentage that I would make <laughs> a good living off doing fucking BMX. But my, bless my dad. He was like, he just really wanted to see me succeed in, in something, and yeah. So, so when uh, ha- have they have they come around now and they've been like, you know, Eva, we're proud of you. We're great. This is awesome. Are you like, kidding me? Of course they have because they're. I'm like, what do you want for Christmas? TV done. <laughs> <laughs> of course they love. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, uh, uh, they 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 knew deep down that it was about trust, and of course it took them a long time because I was their first baby. Mm-hmm. And they want their baby to, and they were so young. My, my mom had me when she was 17, 18. So they, they still, of course, were like, we wouldn't want you to do what we wouldn't do. And I'm like, well, you haven't had a chance to know what you would not do. So let me, let me be me. That was kind of how I felt. Um, but of course, they, the second that they saw me in that environment of performing and, and, and singing, they were like, okay, she's happy and that's all we could ever ask for. Wow. Yeah, I love that. And I'm, I'm happy for you. Cause, you Thank know, you. They're, yeah. they're, it's very, I'm very grateful to have very, a very supportive family. That's for sure. Yep. All right. So we'll wrap up with three standard closing questions. I ask everybody. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? What motivates me? I'm now a mother to a beautiful little dog who's asleep on the couch with literally 50 toys. Um, so that at the moment motivates me because getting a dog really distracted me from getting caught in the cycle of depression, anxiety, um, not permanently on all the time, but a lot of the time. So I'm, mm-hmm. it motivates me to remind myself that there is more to my life than how I feel. Um, cause sometimes it's shit. And then I think everything's shit. It's like, no, no, <laughs> let's not do that. So that, that motivates me. And also 
the people in my life, the people that I love that love me, motivate me. Um, and also my young self motivates me. I look at that picture I showed you a lot actually lately and I go, she would be so proud mm. of where we are and who we are today. So that motivates me. Well, that leads to my next question is what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Oh, uh, see, I love this question because I wouldn't give my younger self any advice because really? she, no, because I, I think it's cheating. I think it's like, <laughs> let, let your younger self have, at least for me, uh, this is my personal experience. She needed to do those things because innately younger me knew what the right thing for her was. She was just scared to take up space and, and do what was right for her solely. Um, but she, we learned a lesson in a really great way. And Hey, it's a fucking punchline now. I'm divorced. Hello, that's hilarious. And I'm two-time Tony nominee, two-time loser. Like, it's funny. We're writing our memoir. That's what I want to say to younger me. Do you? It's going to make a great book one day. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, do have a, I do have a thing where if, if I could go back in time, I would dress as like really older me and like scare the shit out of my younger self. That's probably what I would do. And be like <laughs> something like, I don't know, like make it seem like really witchy, like, don't, you know, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd fuck with myself, younger self, more than I would. <laughs> okay. So last question then. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many oh, no. times as you want, what would no. you say? MJ the Musical. Oh my God. So good, right? So good. That's all I have to say. Objectively one of the best shows I have seen, hands down. Yeah. That's just all I have to say. Phenomenal. All right. Where can we find you on social media? Oh God. Um, you can find me on Instagram, uh, at Livy Maria, uh, and also on Twitter at even a but no pressure. I don't care if you follow me or not. It's your choice. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should. I think the world still revolves. <laughs> yeah. You got, you got, you post some good stuff. All right. Um, you can find more of me at the theaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast on Facebook. Who uses that? Facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Jukebox the Ghost gave you the music you're listening to right now. And Eva Noblezadek, thank you so much for joining us today. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.